Good morning. morning. There is no cool cats this morning, so kids, you are with us today. And young men, this message is to your dads, but since you most likely will be a husband and a father in the coming coming years, young men, listen up. (laughs) If you would, if all of you turn to, if you're a theologian, it's 1 Peter. If you're a PE teacher like me, it's 1 Peter. If you would turn to 1 Peter. First Peter, Peter writes, Peter has written to a church, to a group of churches in Asia Minor, what is known as modern day Turkey. He has written to these churches because these churches are facing severe persecution. And in a wise and pastoral way, Peter began this letter with a clear foundation of theological truth, of the gospel, of what Christ has done and, and what he is provide what he has provided and what he will provide and the inheritance that awaits each and every believer. And and wonderfully these words, these 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 encouragements, these truths in this letter are relevant to us today because the the men and women who lived in a hostile first century world, they 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 experienced very much what we experience today living in a 21st century world where there is much hostility to the Christian faith. And so as Peter has written, he has written to us as well. And, and as we have studied and we've gotten through these theological truths, and then we've come to the, the practicality of, of how to live a godly life in the midst of a hostile world, how to, how to follow Christ, how to live out our faith faith when, when people around us mock us and ridicule us and don't simply just agree with us, agree with what we believe as the truth of Scripture and the authority of God's Word and how we're to live out God's Word. And so, so Peter writes and, and then he gets very practical. Once he lays these the, theological foundations down, he gets very practical. And in, in, in the middle of chapter 2, he begins this, this practical living by First, admonishing us to, to, as sojourners, as exiles in a world that, that we do not belong in. He, he tells us in verse 11 of chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, here's the first thing you must do. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, don't return to that life that you had before Christ transformed you by the gospel. Don't go back. Even in the midst of hostility, even in the midst of of pressure to turn away from the truth, don't go back. Abstain from these passions that you once lived in, the very passions of the flesh that that even now today wage war against you. You 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 are, are facing a battle just in the, in the world around you, but you also have a battle in the flesh. And, and this, this battle is waging war against your soul. And so, so abstain from that, but not only abstain from that. Let me, let me tell you how you are to live. And in verse 12, Peter says this, and this really is 
in, in many ways, the, the, the pinnacle of his letter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And, and here, is, here is what we live for and glorify God on the day of visitation. Glorify God. And then, and then Peter gets even more practical. He goes on to talk about living in the world we live in. Be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Every human institution. And, and he writes to those who are living under a dictatorship, a wicked, wicked leader in Caesar Nero and in governors like Pontius Pilate and Phoenix. And he writes, submit yourselves to them. Submit yourselves to them. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Then he goes on, servants be subject to your masters. And he's talking to, to slaves at the time, which can translate for us, employees and employers. And then last week, he, he moved on to wives. In chapter 3, wives be subject to your own husbands. As we learned last week, that is particularly in our day and age. A very, very challenging subject. Now Peter, in verse 7, instructs husbands. And this is what he says to them. Likewise, husbands, husbands, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, or prayer be hindered. Now, to understand the difficulties between men and women, you have to go back to the garden. You have to go back to Genesis. Everything God has created is good. And with men and women, when he created them, he says it is very good. He also creates this institution which we call marriage, which in the beginning was perfect. That, that may be a hard concept for most of us to grasp. A perfect marriage? Really? Krista said, I have one. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but here's the problem. Sin entered the world, and it brought death to everything it touched, and it brings death to everything it touches. Every, every human heart is immersed in sin, in rebellion against God's good created order, and marriage is at the top of the list. Gender roles, gender identities, gender uniqueness have all been distorted which creates no end of conflict between husband and wife, between men and women. So now fast forward to the first century from Genesis and in Asia Minor and in this Greco-Roman world that Peter is addressing this church in that world, we see the devastating effects that sin has in every corner of society, particularly in marriage. Listen, Rome at this time rules 
the world militarily, and Greece influences the world culturally, and both treat God's good created order with arrogant disdain, and in particular, God's very good creation, women. Husbands and wives no longer display at this time God's good created order in their roles and in their unique God-given gifts. Sin has destroyed the beauty of what God has said is very good. And now in the first century, men dominate and women are demeaned, many severely treated as less than human. Sin has distorted everything that is good. And it is in this culture that Peter brings the gospel. Peter brings the gospel truth and he brings to people what, what can transform them, which is, which is God saving them from their sin, which is God who has in his mercy, in his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he has offered us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so there is this picture of one day, Perfection will be returned. But right now, there's a battle before us. There's a challenge before us. And so it is in this culture that Peter brings, brings the gospel and, and gospel transformation to both society and particularly the church. So beginning in the middle of chapter 2, Peter addresses the, the importance of living godly lives in this hostile culture. And now he's following up with words to wives and husbands. And this morning he is talking to you guys. He is talking to me. He is talking to the husbands in this church. He's talking to the future husbands in this church. Peter begins in verse 7. He says, likewise. He speaks briefly, but he speaks forcefully to husbands. And he's telling husbands this, likewise. Now, what is likewise? Well, likewise, we saw in verse 1 of chapter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. That was referring back to what? The submission that, that slaves had to masters, that employees to employers, that we all have to the civil government. Likewise. So, but is Peter saying likewise now, husbands, submit to your wives? No. No, he's, he's looking back. Likewise, husbands, you too are to be submissive. Not to your wives, but to the Lord. To the Lord. So with Peter's apostolic and pastoral authority, he instructs husbands on how they are to treat their wives all the time. <laughs> how you are to treat your wives, husbands, all the time. Because this is a present tense verse. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives. Meaning, the way you are to treat your wife, according to the word of God, never stops. Now, Peter uses only one verse in his instructions to the husbands and the wife. Guys may be thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. 
Wives, wives need six, men only need one. Seems radically unbalanced, unfair, but, but Peter's a wise pastor who knows the culture. And it makes sense why he uses six verses for the wives, because the wives need greater encouragement to help them live with their husbands. <laughs> they need much more grace because living with your husband in this day and age that Peter is writing, these husbands were, they were dominating. They were unkind. They were mistreating. And in fact, Peter writes in verse 1 of chapter 3, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, which is very clear, a number, if not many, were not obeying the word. And wives were living under that. And they were living under the cultural issues of the day, the way men treated women. And so, oh yeah, it, it could have taken 60 verses to, to live. And I think because guys can be a bit more dull than women, one verse is all we need because that's about all we can do. We forget easily. And... Peter only needs one verse in, in his instructions to husbands because in this one verse he says all he needs to say. Listen, in, even in a mixed marriage where the husband was a believer and the wife was an unbeliever, the life of the husband was not nearly as difficult as the life of the wife. And so Peter addresses these men, but he's addressing believing husbands who have believing wives. At the time Peter wrote this letter, again, the, the worldview of a woman and being a wife was radically different from God's view. And these, these men that he's speaking to, they've been influenced by the culture, even after coming to faith in Christ. It isn't as though they were transformed instantly. There's still the, the, the residue, the remnant of the, of the cultural way of living, of men treating women that, were, that was left over. And, and so this charge that he's making to men is stunning in light of the culture that they are facing. Your marriage, Peter is saying to the husbands and wives, must no longer represent the culture. And the same is said to us. Our marriages cannot represent the culture that we are living in today. Peter saying you, you both must, must be counter-cultural in your conduct so that those who accuse you of evil, which we see in verse 12 of chapter 2, when they accuse you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and he is building, he's building upon this picture that Paul describes in Ephesians 5 of Husbands loving their wives. Wives submitting to their husbands. Why? Because it's a picture of Christ and his relationship to the church. Christ and his love for the church. Christ and the church is, is represented here. Un, unbelieving husbands are to get a taste of the gospel from their submissive wives and now they are watching Christian men treat 
as Peter is writing here, treat their wives with gentleness and patience and humor and respect in an understanding way and kindness. And these unbelieving husbands in this culture, they're watching these, these new believing husbands and they're seeing them different. And let me tell you, it's not endearing these men to the unbelieving men around them. They're, they're radically changing the way things are being done. And yet that does not deter Peter. He makes it clear, likewise. Husbands, here's what your first responsibility is. Submit to the Lord. Submit to the Lord that he might be glorified. That, that the way you live in marriage, the way you treat your wife, the way you represent Christ and the church brings glory to me and speaks to a world that is dying. So in one verse, one verse, Peter distills all we need to know as husbands and all we need to do to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Just one verse is all we need. And everything we need to know about being a Christian husband is literally captured right here in verse 7. Here's the, here's the main idea of Peter's thought. Husbands who resolve to obey this verse will see God's glory and grace in their marriages. Husbands, husbands who resolve to obey this verse will see God's glory and grace in their marriages, which is what we are called to do and created for. So, Three, three points, two compelling commands and one significant caution. Now listen, these commands are only possible because the men listening to Peter's letter, which means you men as well, have been radically and wonderfully transformed by the gospel. And so now, now the Lord in his word, this is the word of God speaking to you men. The word of God is imploring you to live under the lordship of Christ in the way you treat your wives. So even in the face of cultural pressure, Peter gives these guys and he's giving us a whole new concept of marriage that requires a whole new way of living. Listen, biblical manhood, biblical leadership, and biblical marriage been changed. And now we see how. First, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. 7a, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Both husband and wife are, are called to follow Christ in humble and compassionate love, but the, the husband's role is different and his form of service is different. The wife is called to submit to her husband, to be submissive. The husband is called to live with her in an understanding way, which is a radical departure from the culture. Husbands weren't to live with their wives in an understanding way. There was no point. You, you, you are my wife. You live to serve me and to, to meet all my needs and, and stay out of my way. That, that was the cultural norm. And this is a radical departure. Now, the little Greek for understanding, the word understanding here is knowledge. 
Live with your, your wives with knowledge is what the NASB would say. And it comes from the Greek word gnosis. Husbands are to know their wives. They're a term used primarily in scripture for physical intimacy, to know, but not limited to the physical. So every, every husband is to know his wife intimately, to know her likes and her, her dislikes, her temptations, her fears, her joys, her strength, her frustrations, her weaknesses, her hopes, her dreams, her desires. He is to know her, yes, physically and spiritually and emotionally and intellectually. And all this happens as he passionately pursues understanding his wife. We learn to understand our wives by being with them. Now listen, I have been I've been married, it'll be 40 years in February that Marilyn and I have been married, and we've been together 43 years. And I have not always been faithful to this verse. And in, prep, in prepping for this message, there was much conviction for my own heart to see where, where I don't live with Marilyn in an understanding way. Uh, I have much to learn still about our differences and, and not just understand Marilyn, but appreciate her differences. Listen, when, we, when Marilyn and I go out shopping, we're going out shopping tomorrow. We go clothes shopping. I am a hunter. Find it, kill it, and bag it. And that can be done under 10 minutes. <laughs> and definitely, because the only colors I look at are black and white, typically. Now, Marilyn is a stalker. <laughs> She's so different. And I love her sense of fashion most of the time. And I love how she decorates our home and makes it a home. And, and, and I... And I I see in the midst of, of, of shopping how different we are. And, and, and that's where it, I realize, okay, understanding Marilyn and intimacy in my marriage isn't he of a... Is. C.J. Mahaney says this in his book, Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. Husbands must touch the heart and mind of his wife before he touches her body. He must... Study her in an understanding way because she is wonderfully different. I really enjoy golf. And I really like owning and using power tools. I've had a commitment for years that every time I go into Lowe's or Home Depot, I'm required to buy at least one new tool. <laughs> I, I know what good quality tools are. I know what good quality golf clubs are. I study my hobbies. I'm sure you men have hobbies as well and things you study like batting averages, fishing equipment, electronic gadgets, and so on. Let me ask you this. Do you know your wife as well? Do you study her as well? Do you study her with the same intensity? Early on in our marriage, I thought bringing flowers to Marilyn was the absolutely most meaningful thing to her. And one day she looks at me, she says, sweetie, I would rather you just notice that the garbage is full and you take it out than bring me flowers. 
I learned. And so I did. I took out the flowers. No, I took out the garbage. And now she sings this song from 1978, You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. <laughs> God. What does living with your wife in an understanding way look like to you? Are you taking the initiative? Is your leadership intentional in studying her? Listen, leadership, guys, is never reactionary. It's intentional. It's taking initiative. It's studying her, watching her, talking to her, caring for her, spending time. Just the other across. And there is a husband and wife, and here's what they are doing. While they're eating their food, both of them, looking at their phones, checking out whatever, eating food at the same time, having absolutely no conversation and no care for each other. And if you go into any restaurant today, I guarantee you, you will see the majority of people doing that. That is not what Peter is after here. Our biblical priority, brothers, is to understand our wives, to live with them, live with them, not just understand them, but live with them in an understanding way, with their differences. What, what distracts you from priority? Is it, is it selfishness? What do you like when you get home from work? What do you like, guys, when you get home from work? You, you just walk in the house, it's like, <sighs> the sofa, the TV, collapse. I, I need my time. I need my me time. Is that what, what life is like? Do you truly understand what your wife has been experiencing during the day? This, I've, I've used this illustration before, but it's worth, again, one afternoon, a man came home from work to find total mayhem in his house. His three children were outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud with empty food, boxes, and wrappers strewn all over the front yard. The door of the wife's car was open, as was the front door to the house. Proceeding into the entry, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over and the throw rug was wadded up against the wall. In the front room, the TV was loudly blaring in a cartoon, on a cartoon channel. And the family room was strewn with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink. Breakfast food was spilled on the counter. Dog food spilled on the floor. A broken glass lay under a table. And a small pile of sand was by the back door. He quickly headed upstairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried she may be ill or that something serious had happened. He found her lounging in the bedroom, still curled in bed in her pajamas, reading a novel. She looked at him, smiled, and asked how his day went. He looked at her bewildered and asked, what happened here today? She again smiled and answered, you know, every day when you come home from work and ask me what in the world I did today? Yes, was his reply. She answered, well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> Years ago, before my office was in my home, my practice when coming home from work was to sit in my car and do all I could to leave the day's troubles inside. No doubt they would be right there when I got back in the next morning. 
but home is where my wife needed me. Home is where my children needed me. And home is where I needed to understand with clarity my wife's day, to live with her in an understanding way. The struggles, the fears, the joys, the temptations, and so on that she faced caring for three children. Admonition is clear. Husbands, live with your wives. This is a daily experience. Secondly, he goes on to say, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So point two is, husbands, show your wives honor. Two reasons why, one, she's a weaker vessel, and two, she's an heir of Christ. Why, why does Peter say to honor our wives? Why, why, why use that word honor? And, and, and when we talk about honor, honor is, is often in public. Why do, why do we honor our wives? It's because she's so special. D. Edmund Habert in his commentary said this, he said, the wife may be considered weak because of her role as a wife. She, by marrying, has accepted a position where she submits herself to her husband. Such a position is vulnerable, open to exploitation. The husband is commanded not to take advantage of the woman's vows of submission. Her acceptance of a position of weakness in submission to him is a call to her husband for consideration and thoughtful support. Do you get that? What, one of the, the weaknesses she has is that she's submitting herself to your leadership, to your headship, to your authority. That puts her in a weak and vulnerable position. We, we are, Peter's telling us, husbands, to esteem our wives as valuable, as, as treating her with great care because of the unique, beautiful way God has made her. And, and he goes on to say, importantly, because she's an heir of Christ. Listen, our, our wives, here's why we honor our wives. She's been redeemed by the same precious blood of Christ that we have been redeemed by. He bore her sins in his body just as he bore ours. By his wounds, she has been healed. And he is now the overseer of her soul. She is co-equal in dignity, co-equal in worth, co-equal spiritually, if not more spiritual. And this is a radical departure from first century husbands and the way they treated their wives. Peter is not demeaning a wife here, when he calls her a weaker vessel, but just the opposite. He's elevating this woman spiritually and socially and personally in a time when they were considered second-class citizens. To say to honor your wife in this culture, that's stunning. Again, I mentioned this last week, but I love Carolyn Mahaney and Nicole Whitaker's definition of, of true beauty, which describes why we honor our wives. And, and, and even though they're described as a weaker vessel, here's the strength of the women that we have married. A gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality trait. It's the quality of a woman who meets adversity. 
slander, sickness, rejection, and loss with a calm confidence in God. A gentle woman is a woman of remarkable strength and tenacity because she does not attack back when someone sins against her. Rather, she waits on God knowing that God is just and she can suffer without bitterness. Listen, your wife is not weaker in mind or morally inferior or intellectually or spiritually inferior which was an opinion that was widely held in that first century culture. She's just simply generally weaker physically. Listen, because men are are generally physically stronger ones in marriage, wives depend on on husbands to, to carry physical loads that are difficult for them or beyond them. And unless you live in an egalitarian marriage... When you hear a noise at night downstairs, rather than your husband turning to you and saying, hey, this is an egalitarian marriage, you go check it out. (laughs) Every husband is going to get out of bed pretending he's not afraid and go down and check this thing out. (laughs) Peter demands that husbands honor their wives as equals and accept them as full heirs of the grace of life. This, this wonderful truth of the gospel that has transformed their wives. They, they too have received God's saving grace. And in their personal standing before God, there is equality. And that is to be honored in them by their husbands because they believe the same Savior. They're redeemed by the same ransom. They live by the same grace. And they look forward to the same eternal destiny. So honor Show them honor. Even though they are physically weaker, show them honor. Listen, as fellow heirs, they are equal partners, guys, and equal partakers of God's glory that will be revealed on the last day. They, they're right there with us. No husband should ever attempt to take advantage of his wife because she's weaker physically. And, and, and because she is also, and, and this is almost not a weakness, she's, just, she's different emotionally. She's more sensitive emotionally. There, there, is, there is not a weakness, but a difference in her emotional sensitivity. It, it can be a great strength for wives, for sure. And nonetheless, it, it also means that wives can be more deeply hurt by conflict within marriage or inconsiderate behavior on our part, like husband's do we, do we publicly make fun of our wives? Oh, it seems humorous in a setting of a, a group of people. And, and we get a laugh at, at, at our wives' expense. But it shames them. It does not honor them. Or we use sarcasm to ridicule them publicly in front of others. That must never be. Or, or guys, listen, we're, we're just, we get in a group... We would, we would get together for our, our pastors and wives meetings in, in Charlotte. And there's, you know, six or seven pastors and we're hanging out. And the guys, the guys are spending about 30 minutes to an hour finding every flaw in the other guys around them as they possibly can, making fun of them. And, and we'd be driving home in the car and Marilyn would be devastated. She's like, how, how, how can you say those things? Or, 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 or when they say those things about you, it's like... What did they say? <laughs> she, she felt every word. I just thought they're all idiots. I could care less. 
They're my friends. That's how they treat me. That's, that's, that's the difference between men and women. But here's the, here's the reality. Peter, Peter writes here, he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. But he's meaning that you both are vessels. You both are frail. And, and where do we learn that? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this wonderful truth of the gospel. We have Christ in us. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us in these earthen vessels. We are jars of clay, brothers, just as our wives are. Don't, don't assume that you're not frail. You are as frail. And so as husbands, we have the distinct privilege of honoring our wives' unique makeup and, 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 and delicacy as image bearers of Christ. Thomas Schreiner said this in his commentary, In what sense are women weaker? Nothing else in the New Testament suggests that women are intellectually inferior, nor is it clear that women are weaker emotionally. For in many ways, the vulnerability of women in sharing their emotions and feelings demonstrates that they are more courageous and stronger than men emotionally. Yeah, I would agree. Nor did Peter suggest that men are actually better Christians than women, which is not taught elsewhere in scripture, nor is it evident in history. The most obvious meaning, therefore, is that women are weaker than men in terms of sheer strength. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then here's our third point this morning. Peter tells us to do this, and here is our serious caution. Husbands, do not let your prayers be hindered. Peter goes on to say, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Show them honor as a weaker vessel because they are heirs of the grace of life with you. Do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, Peter ends this verse with a serious caution. Husbands, if you do not live your, with your wife in an understanding way, he's saying, if you do not show her honor as a weaker vessel, if you do not celebrate her as being a co-equal and a joint heir of Christ, the most important need you have as a, as a believer will go unanswered. God will not answer your prayers. Guys, you get that? God will not answer your prayers. If you want to see your marriage suffer, which I'm sure you do not, you need to pray for your marriage. What will happen if your prayers are hindered? Wayne Grudem so wisely says this. He says, so concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. 
Guys, there's, there's, there doesn't need to be much more explanation about what Peter is saying here. As the closest human relationship, the relationship to your wife, must be carefully and consistently, joyfully and sacrificially cherished. Cherished if you desire a close relationship with God. That is That is a weighty condition. Guys, you want to have a close relationship with God? Love your wife. You want to be near to God? Live with her in an understanding way. You want to glorify God? Show her honor as one who shares the grace of life with you. Listen, Peter is giving every husband an enormous task, but not an onerous one. He's not requiring husbands to understand all women, thankfully. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Only their wives and daughters, if you have daughters, which it would have been great if Peter had just written an entire chapter for daughters, because <laughs> I have two So guys, what do you need to do beginning today to obey this verse that you might live with your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor? What do you need to do to ensure that she feels cherished today? Listen, our task is more. Our task is more than a great marriage. It's having a marriage that reflects Christ's love for his church. It's a marriage that brings glory to God because it displays the goodness of the gospel. It's a marriage that fulfills Peter's earlier exhortation in 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, that God may be glorified in a world hostile to us. Now listen, if you, if, if you are not a Christian, God, God wants you to know He transforms life. Amen. The good news that Christ died for our sins and that He forgives sins and that He transforms is, is available to you today if you respond to his word and his truth. And if you, if you are in a marriage where one is a believer and one is not, let me encourage you, it will transform your marriage if you respond to these glorious truths of God's love and kindness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to to instruct us in such practical ways, to give us life, to give us hope, and to give us opportunity to live for you and to bring glory to you. And Lord, may every marriage here today feel the, the joy of your pleasure upon them, and may they experience your abundant grace. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.